All right, everybody, we're going to be in Luke 24, so we're taking a break from, from Matthew. We finish the Sermon on the Mount next week, and just to give you a heads up, um, we will be in Matthew again next week on the 16th. On the 23rd, we have been invited to go worship with Templo de Alabanza again. Um, so Templo de Alabanza is a Hispanic church. I will be leading the Lord's Supper at it. Um, Pastor Felix Cobos will be preaching through a translator so that we know what he's saying. But it is a time for our churches to come together and worship the one God. Um, so we will we'll put a sign on the door. We'll make sure it's messaged out through Facebook. But we won't actually gather here. We're going to gather with another church. Part of what we love to do at Cross Life is come alongside other churches and other fellow saints and worship together instead of separately. So um, we're excited that kind of came about. Um, but it'll be on the 23rd, and then on the 30th, we will we'll be back here. All right, everybody, so here we are. We're in Luke 24. And uh, I love that, that Mike reminded us of that, that greeting. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Like, really? <laughs> okay. One more time, because it's different speakers. He is risen. Absolutely, y'all. And happy Easter. This is a beautiful and wonderful day. And it is beautiful and wonderful outside. And it is beautiful and wonderful in the scripture. So we got a lot to cover. And Mark's already started my time. So we're going to get right to it. All right. So we're on, we're in Luke 24. Normally what we do is we read the entire passage. And then we go in and we break that entire passage down. If we did that, then that would be... 54 verses twice, which is 108 verses. And then that means that there's no time for Easter the rest of the day, like to, to spend time together. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and start. Um, and we're, I'm going to read a, a passage at a time uh, from this chapter. And we're going to move through this chapter. And I just this, these are just some Easter reflections because the church body, while we reach out to the lost and we minister to the lost, the church gathering is for believers. All right. So. We know these things as believers, but we need to reflect on these things as believers. And so that's that's the heart of today is some Easter reflections. And so we're going to start in verse one. And the first reflection is going to be from verses one through 12. And that's really the um, the empty tomb. So y'all take a look at this. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, and Mary, the mother of James and the, excuse, sorry, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Y'all just like pause there because we are so familiar with this story. We're so familiar with doing this every year. We're so familiar with an empty tomb that I think we forget. Y'all, the tomb was empty. 
Like we know it like in a sentence, we know it in a thought, but my challenge for us right now is just be in this moment right there with them. Think of everything that they had known. What they had known, flip back to verse 20, or I'm sorry, to chapter 23, verses 44 through 53. We've got to be in that moment with them because I don't think we always are. We keep reading it like history. I want us to read it as though we were there with them to understand and really grasp their confusion because otherwise you and I would be tempted to say this. Well, they were confused, but I wouldn't be. I mean, I get this. I would be the one who would sit there and explain to them. I would stand alongside the men at dazzling lightning like apparel and I would explain to them the resurrection and why this is true. That's where we normally read these things now because we get it. Y'all, we get it from this side of the cross. They're living in it. And they were perplexed because look at what they had seen in Luke 23. We're just going to start in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last and it means he died. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. The last thing that they had known and experienced was the gruesome death of their friend and teacher and Lord. And they go to his tomb and it's empty. That's perplexing. Y'all, the tomb was empty. I just want you to have that Easter reflection. You might notice something else that says on the first day of the week. I just want to put this in there for you and for me. Um, verse one, but on the first day of the week and all throughout the New Testament, whenever you see them gather for worship, it's on the first day of the week. The, the Sabbath was Saturday. It was the time of worship. But after the resurrection, then you see the shift to the first day of the week on Sunday. Something monumental, something, um, something um, powerful had to have happened for those disciples to shift from worshiping on Saturday, which was biblical, to worshiping on Sunday. Something had to happen. They had to see an empty tomb in their resurrected Lord to understand that this shifts everything that we thought we knew. So we gather on Sunday. Whenever we gather like this today, we are following a new, like on the New Testament Bible side of it. We're following a biblical historical precedence of worshiping our Lord and Savior from his resurrection. Isn't that amazing? All right. So we're going to keep going. Just want you to have that. When they get there, how perplexing too that this stone has moved away. 
Y'all, the stone did not have to be moved, by the way, for Jesus to walk out. We watch these plays, we watch these depictions where the stone is rolled away and Jesus walks out and he's magnificent. And that's good because production wise, they've got to do something so you understand. But I want you to understand just in the full power of his resurrection, he didn't need the stone moved so he could walk out. The stone is moved so that people may come in and see that he is risen. He left an empty tomb so that we may glorify him. God forbid that we ever forget that. And I mean that like a holy reverential way. Like, Lord, let that not be us. But the stone was moved for us. Y'all just be in that moment one more time before we move. You see the Savior die upon the cross. And you go to pay your respects at his grave. And he's not there. And then there are these men in dazzling white. And they say, did you, didn't he tell you? Didn't he tell you that this is what would happen? And it says, and then they remembered. And in their remembering, there's revelation. And in their revelation, they realize that he is the resurrected one. Three images in our Christian lives should move us to wonder. And that is this, the baby Jesus in a manger, the Lord Jesus upon a cross, and the tomb of Christ empty and open so that all may come in and see. Listen to Acts 2.24. This one, I always just want to write ha. Like in my Bible, it says ha. Acts 2.24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him. I don't know what else to say to that except ha. Like there's the full power of God. Like he goes into the grave and death, which holds every man in its bosom. He says, nope, you can't hold me. And he rises again. Death cannot hold hold him. Our Jesus stands resurrected because he's incredible and incredibly resurrected. The power and the might of death could not hold him. So, oh, let us rejoice at the empty tomb. That's our first reflection. Rejoice at the empty tomb. Our God, cross life, cannot be stopped. Not even death can stop him. And he is ours and we are his this morning and forever. Okay, on the road to Emmaus, reflection number two. Here it is. Jesus has always been the meaning. Like, that's what you're going to see in this passage. I want it to be. I want to be on that road to Emmaus. But it's, we, we can't go back. But this is one of those scenes where I wish I could go back and just sit and listen. On the road to Emmaus, it says in verse 13, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Right? All the things of the empty tomb. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I'm sorry, let's hit time out real quick. You know one thing we didn't really reflect on in that first part? There were men in dazzling apparel by the tomb. There were angels there. You and I probably still think about the tomb in this way. There was an empty tomb. That's pretty amazing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. No. Like if you look at other translations, their, their peril was like lightning. Like it's dazzling in that way. It's a transfiguration aspect of his glory. Okay. These guys are talking about all of that. That's, that's what I wanted to come back to. They're talking about the angels. They're talking about the tomb. They're talking about the resurrection. Talking about all the prophecies that they had heard at the point. Verse 16. Now I'm back. Okay. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. 
And one of them, one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And here's the verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Do you know what we see here? That Jesus gave the most incredible Bible lesson ever. Like he begins with Moses and he moves through all the prophets and he says, it was about me. Like it was me. Like it's me. You see, you see that right there? It was about me. It was foretelling me. This was a foreshadowing of me. All of this finds its meaning. But what's going on here is they're still confused. Let's just not miss that. There's this idea that, that there was like this mass hallucination of all the disciples and they saw the resurrected Lord. They were too confused to hallucinate something so wonderful as this. Their confusion is very clear. Just as they were confused when Jesus walked this earth and he spoke in parables and they're like, we don't get it. And he said, I know, I know you don't. They're confused right here too. And so Jesus, his identity kept from them. That's just an act of God so they wouldn't know him in that moment. He asked them and you can hear they're recounting everything. They're like, we, we thought this was the Messiah. Like he came and, and he did these things and he was working in power before God and all the people and they crucified him. And now his tomb is empty and our women are telling us this. And they're talking in such a way that Jesus says, you foolish ones. So hard to believe, so slow to believe. Like, why do you not get it? I just wanted to be in that moment, not so he could hear them ridicule them, but so that he could like not ridicule. That's the wrong word. No, so that he could. What's my word I'm looking for? Rebuke them. Not so he could rebuke them and call them back to faith, but just to hear the clarification of everything that I know I'm missing in Scripture about him. Like this is what we need to be reminded of. Number one, that his suffering was part of the eternal plan. He told them that. He had told them that and he tells them that right now. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Y'all listen to Isaiah 53.10. Just to know that this was all part of the plan, all part of God the Father's will. Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Y'all, Christ had become sin for us and sin must be crucified and crushed. So in that very act, Christ did for us what God had wanted him to do. Y'all never forget the cross, but never forget the resurrection. We focus so much on the cross of Christ, which is amazing. But God's seal of approval is in Christ's resurrection, that he was fully satisfied with everything that happened on that cross. And then verse 27, he follows all of that. I've had to do 
all that was put before me. He follows that with beginning with Moses. Y'all, he takes them through the Old Testament. There's an idea today in our churches that I do not like. And it's this idea that we do not need the Old Testament anymore, that we are in the New Testament. And because of the New Testament, that's where we should live. And if you ask me as a new believer or someone who hasn't read the Bible, then I would say you need to start in Matthew. Start in one of those four gods. Start there with Jesus so that you understand Jesus and you understand the fullness of his gospel. But do not neglect the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament that we see all the prefigurings and the foreshadowings of Christ. We see God's redemptive plan from the garden all the way to his second coming. We see such value and such treasuring of Christ in the Old Testament. We just don't get it yet. But as you read the law and you begin to see that there's a Passover lamb and you start thinking, wait, there's a Passover lamb. And you, you start to see these festivals of atonement and you start to see this aspect of the scapegoat and you, you see all these things. I can't do them all right now. Here's how I'm going to summarize it from the garden and God's hovering over the face of the water. There is Christ in Genesis. Christ is there in the Abrahamic promise. Christ is there in the Exodus. Christ is there in the Passover lamb. Christ is there in the law. Christ is there in the kings. Christ is there in all the festivals, foods, celebrations, laws, observances, temple practices, in everything, in every part of their calendar. Y'all, Christ is there. And that's what he was showing them in that verse. Is it beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He says, it's always been about me and it's always been about this. And here I am. Now, he is the central subject of all of Scripture. Our Jesus Christ, our King, is no small God. He is no plan B. He has been the plan. He's been the center of it all from the very beginning. When God hovered over the face of the earth, he was there. So let us rejoice in this, that Christ has always been, is, and will always be the crux of our faith. And he has fulfilled everything that God has ever expected of him and for us. Easter reflection number three. Let's keep going. I just want you to see this. Jesus Christ was seen and experienced. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for, I'm sorry. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to, here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. You know, I mean, that's just kind of like a whole lot of information. But you know what we see here whenever you bring it all together? That Jesus' resurrection was not a secret event. 
It was public. It was known. It was experienced. He was heard. He was seen. He ate. He was with them. He was felt. I love how Paul encapsulates all this. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. I just want you to see this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Am I going at the right speed? I feel like I'm talking really fast today. I'm kind of excited about these passages. Am I fast? I'm sorry. Okay. Am I fast, Chas? Okay, I'll slow down. I get really excited about these passages. Taking a breath. I took my blood pressure medicine, so it's not that. Like, I'm, I'm chill. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. A little bit slower, I'm sorry. Paul writes, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Stop right there and briefly consider, before we get to the next, pa- the next part of it that I want you to see, but briefly consider what Paul considers to be of first importance. The Gospel. That is, that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that he was resurrected. That's of first importance for Paul. That's what everything comes down to. Cross life, until that is of first importance to us, you and I will never live for the glory of God. If the gospel is of not first importance, we will live in this dual reality, trying to get dual acclaim for both God and us. But if his gospel is of first importance, then that will change everything of who we are, and our God will be known. Okay, so first importance for him is the gospel. He said, I wanted you to know the first most important thing is this. And so he shares the the gospel, those three things. You want to know what the gospel is? It's there. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was resurrected. And you can walk through all those. Okay, now look at the rest of this. It says, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go talk to them, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And that would, that would be Paul. Saul, who was Paul, Paul says that he is the least of all of them, as one who's untimely born. Y'all, his resurrection was not private. It was seen. It could be verified. Our world relies on eyewitness accounts and so many different things. Well, who saw it? Who can verify it? You've got 500 plus people who can, uh, who can um, verify that he was resurrected and that he appeared to them. And not only did he appear, he also ate broiled fish. Okay? That was his meal in that moment. Why would he do that? He's proving that he's actually flesh and blood. He's proven that he is truly resurrected. He did not just appear to a few, but he walked the earth again. He was visible. And, every, and he was seen. Y'all, let us rejoice in this, that as we gather here today, that Jesus really, truly was resurrected. He really, truly is resurrected. It was seen and known and experienced. This is not a myth of deity. This is a proof of Jesus' divinity. His body will never be found. But you know what Paul does say also in Scripture? That we should be living our lives so radically That if they were to find the body, if the resurrection were to be proven false, that you and I should be a people to be most pitied. And I'm afraid that our current mode of Christianity is that if they were to discover the body of Christ, that people might not pity us because we really didn't live so radically. 
But Paul does say that our faith should be, and the pattern of our life should be, that if the resurrection were proven to be false, that we would be a people, quote, to be most pitied. That's the call of the gospel. That's the call of the resurrection. That's the call of our God to live so otherworldly for his kingdom that if it were all proven false, people would look at us and they would say, how sad. They wasted their entire life, everything of who they are on that. That should be our identity. But that can't be our identity until we're convinced of his resurrection. Easter reflection number four. Jesus fulfills the promise of the Father. He goes on, he says, Then he said to them, I'm back in Luke 24, I'm sorry, in Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I love that word must. I love the word everything and all throughout these. Verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third days rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what we see through from Acts, by the way. We start to see it go out. Verse 48, You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Do you know what we see here? We see that Jesus fulfills the promise of the Father. Might be a small thing, but look at what that, a small thing like in saying, but the reality of it. We already know that he fulfills the promise of the Father in being crushed. We know that in being put to death that he fulfills the promise of the Father, that the Messiah would come and would suffer for us. But look at verse 49. He says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You know what he's talking about? The Holy Spirit. Like that's the promise of the Father right there. That makes Southern Baptists a little uncomfortable. We like the idea of the Holy Spirit like being within us, but for Him to fall on us and to be sent upon us, it's a little like a, we don't know what to do with that. And really, if you read Scripture, this is what we're talking about in our D group as we're reading through Acts. If you read Scripture and you see how the Holy Spirit really moves, then we should all really be a little bit uncomfortable. All right. He is powerful and he moves in mighty ways. Y'all, this is the promise of the Father. Not only that a Savior would come, but that he would also send his spirit to indwell us and be with us forever. Like two promises going on there, the Savior and the Holy Spirit. And I love this. It is, you just got to know, it's been promised from the Old Testament. This isn't like a New Testament um, Acts thing. This is in the Old Testament. Listen to Joel 2.28. And I just picked two verses. In Joel 2.28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Do you hear that? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Any who believe, he will give his spirit freely to them. Jews and Gentiles, you and I sit here as Gentiles being grafted in because he poured his spirit out on us. My kids, my sons and daughters can know the Lord because he pours his spirit out on us. Praise the Lord that Jesus fulfilled the promise of the Father. Listen to Zechariah 12.10. 
He says, these are all Old Testament. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn as one mourns as uh, for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Did you hear that there? That he will pour a spirit of grace and for pleas of mercy so that when they look on him whom they have pierced, then they will be broken. It's been promised from the Old Testament. And Jesus says that, verse, uh, here we go. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. And he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on There's actually a doorbell right over there at that door. The Father promised the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said that he was going to send that promise is what I want you to know. Listen to John 16, 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. I want you to hear this. It is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so he has. Like just as we paused at the empty tomb, have you ever just paused to simply sit there and reflect on the fact that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with you forever and ever and ever? You know, we sit here today transformed and being transformed by that very power, that very promised spirit, that very helper that Jesus promised. You ever consider this? Why is it better that Jesus had to go? Like Jesus said, I must go. It is to your advantage that I go away. And it's this, because Jesus could only do ministry in the vicinity of where he was. He could be here doing ministry with us. He could go down, he could go to the neighborhood and he would do ministry there. He would walk down the road, he would do ministry there. And he said, it is to your advantage that I go because I will send the helper. The advantage that Jesus has in go, I'm sorry, the advantage we have in Jesus going is he, he sent his spirit, which fills every believer in every place and every time and every tongue and every nation without restriction. We are always in the vicinity of our Lord. Like that at some point, just gets to be something we're used to. We get, it's so like routine for us that we get comfortable and uncomfortable, we get casual, and in our casual, we cease to worship it. But the fact that Jesus knew that he had to die and be resurrected so that he could send the Holy Spirit to us because it's to our advantage, I don't think we dwell in that enough. So I want us to just reflect on that, that Jesus fulfills the promise of the Father it's the same spirit, y'all, that listen to this. The spirit that he sends, let us rejoice in this, that he held to that promise. He sent us a spirit. It's a spirit that indwells us and empowers us and intercedes for us and seals us and sanctifies us. Also that we can daily be in the power and the presence of our God. All this in the resurrection. As he went up, the spirit came down. Is that not amazing to us? One more. Reflection number five, Jesus ascended. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Do you know what we see here? Just don't want to miss it. Jesus ascended. It was nothing tricky, but Jesus ascended to on high. Marvel at that. Christ who came so humbly in the manger, born to a young, poor couple, 
now ascends to glory in the heavens, borne up by the power of God to full glory. And you want to know what it looks like on the other side of that? Here's where we're going to end. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Oh, I know I talked quickly. I know how many pages this sermon was now, and I see where we are. Ooh, if you held on, I, way to go. Sorry about that. But uh, hopefully you can tell I was, I was pretty excited about all of that. We can start over if y'all want, and I can. <laughs> y'all, our Lord ascended, and here is what we see in Revelation 5. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John writes, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, this lamb standing as though it had been slain. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen and amen, and let us pray. Lord, I did not intend to speak too quickly, Lord. I've just, your resurrection is so true and wonderful. Lord, what I pray is that your scripture, your word remains in us. And any great truth that awakens the heart because it's from you, Lord, is recognized as being from you and that it energizes us and that it empowers us and that it gives us peace in believing so powerfully in your resurrection. But Lord, you are incredible. And you, Jesus, are incredibly resurrected. And you have fulfilled all that the Father has asked of you on our behalf and for his glory. And you, Jesus, are worthy of all praise from the myriads and myriads of angels and from all of heaven and all of earth and in all the sea crying out. Lord, help us to dwell in this Easter celebration, this Easter season. That it's not just a day on the calendar, 
But Lord, help us to reflect on these things, that your tomb was mysteriously and wonderfully open so that we may come in. That you showed how all of Scripture has been pointing to you and your glorious and wonderful gospel. That you really did truly rise again and showed yourself and let yourself be experienced by so many. Lord, that you have ascended on high and in ascending have sent your spirit so that we can even speak to you now. Lord, all of everything that we have ever needed is found in you. Teach us what that means and teach us to walk humbly. Amen.